Community. I love it when the room's so full, people have to sit on the front row, so I'm going to be talking to you guys all day. Um, I'm going to get a couple volunteers if I could. Uh, we got a letter for everybody in the room, so if I could get a few people from this section, hand those out. You can distribute them however you want. Let's see. Here you go. I just volunteered you. You see how that's how things work around here. Let's see. Yeah, you knew it was coming. Here you go. Um, and then if, uh, if we ran into the wrong kind of, um, the wrong kind of um, distribution system, here, you can here, hand some of those out, would you? Uh, then let us know. I'm sure we got uh, some in other sections. All right. Um, so you can take a look at them if you want. It's actually a letter from you. You didn't realize that. But it's a letter from you. Uh, and I'll tell you what that's all about here in just a second. Um, hey, just again, I know we've reiterated this a couple of times, but we're just super glad that you're here this morning. Really are. So I hope everybody's had a pretty good week. I know I have. I think uh, I've had a couple of espressos this morning, so I'm ready to go. Uh, this is going to be exciting. Um, we are in our final week of Develop Disciples, and just for, for you that have not been here every week, don't feel like I'm out of it. I don't understand what's been going on. What we're doing is we're trying to change the trajectory of our church. We're trying to center everything around the concept of discipleship, which is a really good thing to do because that's the thing Jesus told us to do. Uh, that's what we are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be being disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. Everything else is kind of like peripheral. So you can have fun doing all the other stuff, but if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're just kind of playing games. And so that's what it's been all about for these five weeks. And we've been going through each of these like guideposts or markers that you see here on the wall, on the screen, on your bracelets, on the wall in the hallway. We've been trying to put it everywhere. But we've been talking about what a disciple is and does. And so I'm going to go through these really quick. Uh, if you see them on your screen or you see them on the, the stage here, uh, develop disciples. The first one is disciples follow Christ into the water, meaning that that's, there's just not a non-negotiable, that we, we enter into this relationship with Jesus through baptism, and that's what we do if we want to follow Jesus. Uh, the second one is disciples connect with other disciples, that we just can't make this happen on our own. Uh, the third one is disciples don't attend, they engage, so they find ways to get involved and to do things, and how can I help? How can I step up? How, how can I give? Uh, the fourth one is disciples share their faith by sharing their lives, which means we don't have to stand on a street corner and preach. If God's gifted you with that, that's fantastic. But for most of us, that's not how it works. Most of us are going to be engaging with people around us by sharing our lives with people around us. And today we're going to talk about the final one, the final uh, the guidepost. And, and we believe that most of what we do as disciples kind of like come down to these few things. So uh, I want to I start by asking a question. Uh, kind of a philosophical question. I've been asking this quite a bit. I've been asking it in public places. Some places I got shut down. I was in a coffee shop and I asked this question and they're like, we don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. And it's not like a, an offensive question. It's just uh, this, this very simple idea, can people change? Can people change? And I put really in there because, I mean, really change, right? You know, a lot of you used to wear bell bottoms in the 70s and you don't wear bell bottoms anymore. But I'm talking about like, you know, really change. Can people really change? And I think that's a, it's, it's a good question to think about philosophically because I think on one hand we're like, yeah, of course we can change. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? But I think on the other hand, I've been out to dinner with people who when the waitress comes over and says, can I get you guys something to drink? The people will say, I'll take a Coke. And they say, uh, well, is Pepsi okay? And it's as if you besmirch the family honor 
They get so offended. No, Pepsi is not okay. If I wanted Pepsi, I would have asked for Pepsi. And you're just like, calm down. Like, just be a little flexible here. Nope, there's no flexibility. It's Coke or it's nothing. Can people change? I don't know. That's kind of, it's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we kind of hardwired with the basic personality traits and ideas that we have from the very beginning? But on the other hand, like, of course, right? I mean, sure. Isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that, isn't that the goal that we change, that we come, become more like Christ? But I think it's an important question to ask ourselves because if we don't believe that we can fundamentally become different people, then this, we're just kind of like playing at this. If we don't believe, and this is important, if we don't believe that God can actually radically restore and renew us, then what's the point? God is rewiring us through discipleship. Some of you are looking at one another and you're thinking, well, maybe, but it would take a miracle for us to change. And you're, you're right. And that's what it's all about. God would agree with you on that. If God didn't believe we could change, he wouldn't give us second chances. Or third chances, or fourth chances, right, Supernanza? Or twelfth chances. We can change, but it's, it's, it's a work of the Spirit. Let me ask you a better question. Not can we change, but do we really want to change? Do we really want to change? Here's the reason why I ask this question. It's because um, sometimes when we come to church and the walls are a different color in the hallway, people are like, what is going on? What's happening here? Sometimes when you come to church and you can't sit in your favorite spot because there's a teenager in it, you're like, what's going on? I can't, I can't handle this. I can't deal. Can we really, do we really want to change? And I think that's the kind of the question that we have to really wrestle with. Do we want to change? Because change is difficult and it is uncomfortable. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to change? So our fifth and final mark of discipleship is this. Disciples are being transformed into the image of of Jesus. Disciples are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Take your Bibles if you wouldn't turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 18. This is just kind of a cool verse in general. I've always found it beautiful and, and, and a little confusing. This is what it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a pretty passage. It's a nice passage to like, you know, write in calligraphy on something and hang on the wall. But I think the meaning of it is maybe not quite as clear, not quite as obvious. We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. What's going on there? So let's kind of break this down a little bit. We're going to start with the concept of unveiled and glory in this passage. Unveiled faces and glory. It's not a word we use very often, glory, outside of the church. Not very often. Have you ever used it? Throw it. Just try to work it into a conversation at work uh, this week and see how that goes. How can you fit the word glory into a, just a, a natural, normal conversation? It's just, it's, you're going to sound weird. I mean, you could probably do it, but it's going to come off a little bit weird because it's not a word that we use outside the church. And I think that we probably don't have a very clear idea of what it means, but it's in the Bible a lot. And so I think it's important to understand what glory is. And glory is kind of the, the, maybe the most basic sense and oversimplified. Glory is like a self-evident value of something. It's the value of something that does not need to be explained. You can't, in fact, you can't really explain it. You just have to get it. So let me give you an example. Um, 
a few, a few weeks ago, what was it, August 21st, we had the solar eclipse, right? And uh, there was this path down in the middle of the country uh, of the totality where the moon blocked out the sun for, I don't know, like 60 seconds or something like that. But way up here, way up north, we got a little bit of that. And I like cool things. So I was out. We had the kids out. Our neighbors who uh, had some foresight had a bunch of extra glasses. So we were all uh, outside looking at the sun with these glasses. You know, we put them on the kids and the kids were like, I can't see anything. Well, of course you can't see it. You got to look at the sun. Otherwise, it's just like completely blocked out. But the eclipse was, was kind of cool. But I found out that not everybody thought the eclipse was cool. Now, some of you in this room may have been like, who cares? I can get the exact same effect from the eclipse that I can going inside a building. It's basically the same thing. The building has blocked my view of the sun. That's basically a solar eclipse. I'm inside now. I stay, I'm in a shadow of a tree. It's an eclipse, everybody. Yay, what's the big deal? And so some of you, during this like once-in-a-lifetime event, were inside eating a sandwich because you're like, who cares? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? It's so cool. Now, the thing is, you cannot explain why it's cool because to explain it means losing its coolness. It's like a joke that you have to tell someone, this is why that joke is funny. If you have to tell them why it's funny, it's not funny. Because the duck said, you know, it's just not funny. It just doesn't work. And so when some of you, and I even have, know a few people, they're like, whatever, I just spent the eclipse inside. And I'm like, are you kidding? This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And you spin it inside? Who cares? I can get an umbrella. Hey, eclipse, everybody. That's cool. Look at me. I'm under an umbrella. Big deal. It's self-evident, for me at least, and not for everybody. It's the same thing. You think about any cool, like, natural phenomenon. You go to the Grand Canyon. Right? You stand at the lip of the Grand Canyon and you look out at this vast hole in the ground. Right? It's just a hole in the ground. But some of you who have been at the foot of the Grand Canyon, not the foot, the, the, the lip of the Grand Canyon, you look out and you're like, oh, God is amazing. Other people are like, whatever, it's just a hole. We can make holes. There's lots of holes. It's not a big deal. Some of you can look at the night sky and be like, it's just lights. Who cares? I can hang some Christmas lights in my ceiling. It's just lights. Right? It's the self evident goodness and value of something. And if you have to explain it, you just can't explain it. The ocean, it's just a bunch of water, right? But people can sit for hours staring at the waves coming in, and if you have to explain it, you don't get it. The glory of God is the self-evident value, the self-evident goodness of God, and people who are exposed to God saw that. There was no explanation needed. Nobody had to say, well, this is why God is good, because once they were exposed to the goodness of God, they're like, oh, I get it now. I understand that now. And if you have to explain it, it kind of loses its value. So that's what glory is, this self-evident goodness. And so what we need to understand, what Paul's saying in this passage is that the clearer image of Je- we have of Jesus, the more we're compelled to be like him. So the better we understand who Jesus really is, the more we want to be like that person. And so he talks about that veil. The more you remove these bad understandings or lack of understandings of, of who Jesus is, the more you're like, I want to be like that person. And that's what, he, what, that's what he's saying. To, to understand Jesus is to want to be like him. There was an author by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote during World War II uh, quite a bit, was involved in World War II, but uh, he was a, uh, a religious spiritual follower of Jesus Christ, and he wrote, he wrote this uh, that I thought was very valuable. He says, the very, very image of Jesus exerts transforming power. It's self-evident the more you understand who he is. And that's why we spent so much time at church trying to like, get us to understand who Jesus is, trying to remove the veil, so to speak, about who he really is. The verse goes on to say, 
as we, as we remove that veil and contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image. We are being transformed into His image. I think one of the greatest aspects of living in the internet age, for me, it may, not, may be different for you, is the how-to videos. So it used to be you had to actually know how to do something, and now you can just Google how to do it, and some guy that doesn't know what he's doing either will give you step-by-step instructions like, well, here's how you change a carburetor. I can do this because I got Google. And I, I, know, I know I do that quite a bit. Like, I look at, like, how-to basic stuff, like, you know, how to, how to plunge a toilet. Is it plunge? Plunger? Plunger a toilet? I don't know what the verb is there, but how to do that. Not because I don't know how to do it, but I'm like, is there a special technique that will make this work better? And I go to Google, like, help me understand what's the, what's the right exact movement here? How-to? I want to know step-by-step, turn-by-turn, like directions. We don't give directions anymore. You give the address. In fact, it's almost offensive. Like, well, take a left here, go north here. You're like, no, 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 just give me the address. My phone will tell me where to go, right? But your phone isn't always reliable, right? Has your phone ever misled you and taken you places you didn't want to go? Absolutely. But we love, it's awesome to live in this age where we just don't have, to, we don't have to have anyone telling us what to do. Back in the early 90s, you guys wouldn't understand this, you actually had to find someone who know, knew what they were doing, and then you had to ask them, can you teach me how to do this, and then, or bring them over and have them help you do this thing. But now, we don't need that. We got Google. We got how-to videos. It's great. We don't have to have any human interaction anymore. We just live completely on our own. And nothing on the internet is ever wrong. Everything always turns out just like the picture on Pinterest. This concept is true as well for spiritual growth. Did you know that? Um, if, if you wanted to, you could do this uh, if, if, you, if you like, but I'm going to do it for you. If you Googled the phrase spiritual transformation, you would get results. And, uh, and, and I brought these results up here, and those of you that have good eyesight can read this. But here's a, just the first page of results if you Google spiritual transformation. Now, this is kind of interesting. Like, if you did it on your phone, you'd see some of the same things, too. But notice a little bit about what the results are. If you're listening online later, this isn't going to help you very much, so just Google it. But notice the results online. So notice, seven steps, three steps, ten steps, four steps, five steps, and another ten steps. Now, some of you are really spiritual. are like, well, I better do the ten steps. I mean, that's probably what I need to do because I'm really bad. But some of us who are like looking into cutting corners, we're like, I'm going to take the three steps. That's way easier. Why would I do ten steps when there's a three-step option to being more like Jesus? I'll do the, I'll do the three steps. That's, the, that's the, the way to go. Now, it's funny because if you, if you look this up, you will find everything from two steps to just about as many steps as you want. The funny thing is, is there's no one-step program. I was looking for that one. I'm like, three steps is a little much for me. That's a big commitment. Is there a one-step program? There's no one-step program, probably because people are like, nobody would buy that. But the funny thing about this is, is even if you look at all those things or click on different links, as you can see I've done with a couple of those, all those steps are different steps. So these are different people's ideas of what it means to be spiritually transformed, and you got to do different things depending on which link you click on. So here's the deal. Like when we think about spiritual transformation, three steps, ten steps, five steps, whatever it is, uh, they're all different steps. So who's right? Who's got the right like turn-by-turn GPS navigation directions to what it means to be more like Jesus? We can look, God, I did the three steps. I did the five steps. I'm so spiritual, I did the ten steps. Why aren't I transformed? And here's why. Because it's not about following a process. And this is so important, church, because those steps sound so good. I just want steps. It's not about following a process. It's about following a person. 
How good is that, right? I was so proud that I came up with that. I was like, that's, I was like, Patrick, you're preaching to yourself. That's good. It's not about following a process, and we want steps. We want someone to give us turn by turn, turn left here, go right here. We want turn by turn directions, and it's not about steps. It's about following Jesus Christ, and we're all coming from such different places. We all have such different baggage. There's so many different things in our lives. When we try to make a formula out of it, we're never going to get anywhere. Because that's not the way the Spirit works in your life. The Spirit comes into your life and makes transformation. That's what it's all about. It's not about finding five steps or three steps or ten steps or twelve steps or whatever you need. It's about finding Jesus. Dallas Willard, who's kind of recognized as an expert on spiritual transformation, in fact, wrote books about spiritual transformation. You open up his book, and one of the quotes in his book, I love this, he said, no formula can be written for spiritual transformation. And you're like reading the book about spiritual transformation. You're like, well, you wrote a whole book about it. And he's like, that's his point. No formula can be written because that's not the way God works. God doesn't say, here's a pamphlet. Follow these 10 steps and you'll be like me. It's not the way it works. We've got to allow God to come in and transform us. So that's why the last marker that we talk about, disciples are being transformed into the image of Jesus. We're not doing it ourselves. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus by the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Um, I certainly have. Uh, because a lot of you are like, well, what about all that stuff that I'm supposed to do? I mean, aren't <laughs> some of you are like, wait a second, these five things, aren't those steps? Like, what are you talking about here? And that's the point we've been trying to make all along. No, these are like guideposts pointing us toward Jesus. But it's not about steps. How many of you have ever had a situation where uh, you got your, say, say he's a five-year-old child, just hypothetically, and you take him or her, there's a picture, next picture we'll show, uh, to a playground. And of course, they haven't figured out the basic physics of swinging yet. And you're like, you get on the other swing and you demonstrate. You lean back, you lean forward, shift your weight. And they're like, what are you talking about? Gravity helps you. They have no idea. So finally, you're just like pushing them, right? Pushing them. And they're like, higher, dad, higher. And you're pushing them higher and higher and higher. And finally, they get high enough. And they're like, that's good. And then, even though you were the one that's pushing them, they're like, hey, Dad, look how high I am. And I'm like, yeah, I, I pushed you there. I did that. And then they'll like run home and they'll tell their mom, I swung so high. And you as a parent, you don't do this. You don't like take them on. But you're like, actually, I swung you high. If there's anybody going to get credit, it's me, your dad, who pushed you. And you can even like really go way back. Like if the kid's trying to claim credit for getting themselves really high in the swing, you could say, look, all right, step back. Let's look at the bigger picture, five-year-old son. I fathered you. you. The reason you exist in the world is because of me. I've raised you. I've taught you the ways of the world. I've fed you nutri uh, nu nutritious food so that you could live and you could, you could play on playgrounds. In fact, I brought you to the playground. And when you got to the playground, you couldn't get up on the swing. So I lifted you up onto the swing. And then you couldn't swing yourself, so I pushed you higher and higher and higher. And then when you claim, hey, look how high I got, you're forgetting, I did that. I was the one who did that. Do you think, now, I never do that to my five-year-old son, right? Like, hey, buddy, seriously, credit. You need to write me a thank you note. No, I don't do that. But do you think God ever feels like that? When you say, hey, look how good I am. I'm doing pretty good. I'm changed. I'm transformed. I'm really trying hard. I'm really getting into the 10 steps. I'm really doing my thing. Whatever it is, whatever formula you want to follow. And God's probably like, good for you. Excellent. Nice work. Um, I just created you. I made you who you were. 
I instilled in you a desire to rise above the old patterns of thinking. I gave you Jesus. I put my spirit in you. And bit by bit and day by day, I transformed you. And half the time you were working against me. But go ahead, all by all means, take the credit. That's fine. You did it. It's all you. Do you realize that when we talk about God being transformed, we think like, well, what can I do? I can read my Bible. I can pray. All those things are great. Do those things. But do you know who's doing the miraculous work of transformation in your life? It is God. And when we stop back and say, oh, it's me. Look, I'm, I'm really trying hard. God's like, all right, let's take a step back, buddy. Let's look at the big picture. It is me transforming you. It is me working on you every step of the way. It's God doing the transformation. I don't think we're aware or maybe can even recognize at the, at the fundamental level the deep influence God is having on us. Disciples are being transformed into the image of Jesus. The verse goes on to say, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's that word again, glory. But he's talking about this idea of ever-progressing glory, ever-increasing glory. You know what? This is important. God is merciful. I know you know that. It's a church word too. God is merciful, and he doesn't shine the light on our junk all at once. Because if he would, we'd just be overwhelmed. Again, hypothetically, let's say you had a son or a daughter who has a room that's a little messy. Just a little bit. <laughs> this actually looked like some of the rooms the teens were sleeping in this weekend. They did a good job cleaning up. Uh, and I'm not talking, you know, like just a little messy. I'm talking like the, they forgot what color the carpet is. Messy, you know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Their, the, the, their clothes are now the carpet on the floor. Uh, I'm talking about like parents have just given up. Like we tried. I, I think we're just, we've lost this one. I'm, I, I don't think there's any hope. Um, I, archaeologists will come in thousands of years and they'll excavate this room and they'll make some, lots of bad assumptions about our society. But when you see a room like this, this is, just imagine, and I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but just imagine all the stuff in our lives, all the junk in our lives. God in his mercy doesn't reveal all of it at once because I think we would just get overwhelmed. And so God shines a little bit of a light on our lives. And he says, hey, buddy, here's a few things you could work on here and there. And we, we move a little bit closer to God and the light gets a little bit brighter and he shines a little bit more. Like, oh, here's some other stuff you could, you could work on and maybe just, you know, maybe put the clothes in the, in the dresser. You know, let's try that. And a little bit more. Maybe make the bed a little bit more, a little bit further. And God in his mercy begins to turn up the light on our lives as we make progress forward. Because if he shined it all at once, we'd be like, ah, I can't, this is too much. I can't deal with it. And so I think there's just like a sliding scale. But it's important to understand that because God loves us, because, because God is merciful, this means that transformation is a slow process. Because he loves us, transformation is a slow process. Behavior psych, behavioral psychology says that it takes about 400 repetitions of something to create new neurological patterns in our brain. 400 repetitions. So how many of your parents have, how many of you or your parents have ever said something like, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Parents, that's about right. Because that's how long it takes for us to create new pathways of behavior. And so God in his mercy reminds us again and again and again. I used to think when I was a kid, like, why do we do communion every Sunday? Do this in remembrance of me was on, you know, a lot of you grew up in churches where there was a thing on the front. Do this in remembrance of me. I remember. I know. Why do we have to do it all the time? Do this in remembrance of me. I've got a good memory. <laughs> Ask Kareen. I've got a fantastic memory. <laughs> 
Do this in remembrance for me. And God knows, in his mercy, he knows that we have to be reminded and nudged and gently move forward every day, every so often. And that's why transformation in our lives is often a slow process. His ever-increasing glory shines a light on our lives. Don't give up. Don't get impatient with God. The reason change is slow is because he loves you. In fact, God has always been playing the long game. Uh, We talked about this in class this morning. How long was Joseph in prison as God was preparing him to take over Egypt? 11 years. How long did it take God to prepare Moses fully, prepare him from birth to when he started leading the children of Israel out of Egypt? 80 years. Do you know how long? Do you guys know how long it took God to say, all right, Abraham, you're finally a good dad, and I'll give you that son that I promised? How long did it take? God is playing the long game with us. And when we're like, I tried to change and it's been two hours and nothing's happening, don't give up because God's got a long plan for us. Maybe you'll be 100 by the time God's like, okay, I think you're finally ready to do some of the stuff that I want you to do. Don't give up on yourself. God is in no rush. So we're going to do something a little different as we wrap up this morning. If you have your uh, envelope there, inside the envelope is a letter to yourself. And uh, this is what I want you to do. Uh, Jordan's got pens, so if you didn't bring one, uh, grab one from him, raise your hand. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that letter, and if you didn't get an envelope, that's fine too. We have some extras too. I printed out enough for everybody, kids, adults, everybody. Senior citizens, there's no discount. It's all, all everybody's, everybody's doing everything. So that letter talks a little bit about what we talked about this morning. And on it, what I would like you to write is, I would like you to be a little reflective, a little self Uh, reflective as we think about uh, what we're doing here this morning. Is that me, guys? All right. I want you to be a little thoughtful about what we're doing this morning and think about, like, what are the things that I would like to see God transform in my lives? What are the things I'd like to see God change in my life? And I want you to write those down. And here's what we're going to do. I think this is such a cool idea. Write those things down, and then I want you to turn it over, and I want you to write your address on the front of that, And then I want you to seal it up. We're not going to see. So if you write some dark secrets, I even got the security envelope so you're not like we're holding it up to a light. Oh, it's their problem. No, nobody will know. I want you to write it down. Some of you are checking. I promise. If you're going to check, you must be writing down some stuff, which is great. But I want you to write some stuff down that you want God to change, want God to transform in you. And here's what we're going to do. You write your address on the front. You seal that thing up so Jordan can't take a peek. And then I want you to leave it right on your seat. And we're going to send it back to you in the future. I know. This is a full service church. We're going to send it back to you at some point in the future. And you're going to get that letter. And you're not even going to expect it. You're going to open it up and you're going to be like, what's going on here? And you're like, oh yeah, this is what I wanted God to transform, God to change in me. This is what I wanted God to work on in me. And you're going to get a real life glimpse of how those things have changed over the past months or years or whatever it is. Now some of you are like, nah, I don't want to. But listen, and in fact, Supernanza parents, you can do this too. Supernanza kids, you can do this too. We'll send it to you. You can move overseas and we will still send it to you. You can like, we will get this thing to you. And this is why, because we believe transformation is what it's all about. Transformation is the bottom line goal of discipleship. And if we aren't being transformed, it's because we aren't allowing God to work in us. And that's what it is all about. 
So here's what I want you to do. Write some things down that you want God to work on. It could be patience. It could be temper. It could be gentleness. You think just the fruits of the Spirit. Just write down all of them if that's what you need. And then commit to praying for that. But sometime in the future, you're going to get a letter from yourself that is the result of what you want God to do in your life. And I think it's going to be pretty cool. As we wrap up this morning... Um, Write those things, leave them, hand them to Jordan, hand them to me, make sure they're all sealed up. Um, but as we, uh, as we transition, what we're going to do this morning is a little different. Services aren't over, but I'm going to let you guys go here in just a second. But this is why services aren't over. I'm super excited to announce that we're going to have a baptism uh, this morning. So services are going to continue in the fellowship hall uh, here in just a minute. Um, uh, Noah Frazier is going to get baptized this Sunday, and I cannot tell you how, I'm excited, how, how excited I am for that. Uh, almost as excited as his parents are, I'm sure. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Write those things down. Finish filling that, up, filling that out. Uh, seal it up. I even got the, you don't even have to lick the envelope. I got the thing. I mean, we're making this as easy as possible. Leave it in your chair. Turn it into Jordan. And then I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to move you guys into the fellowship hall, uh, and we're going to celebrate uh, a baptism with Noah and his family. So let, keep writing those down. If you want to keep peeking while I pray, that's fine. And then uh, we'll transition into the fellowship hall. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. And I just pray that the, the, the uh, overwhelming truth of what you're trying to do in our lives would be evident, would be self-evident in what we're doing this morning. Lord, help us understand that we know we're not perfect, but don't let us off the hook for that. Help us understand that you are trying to change us into someone that's more like your son. And so I pray this morning as we think about that, we'd be honest about our needs, our desires. Lord, I just pray that we would understand that this is all what it's all about. Lord, we thank you. We pray for your spirit to work in our lives and make some of these changes in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.